I just look back to the portion we have read. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, centering your attention particularly in words we find from 24 through to 27, and in that context. And um, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with the angels, with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Well, by way of introduction, let us consider the occasion on which this utterance was made. And it's very clear that it occurred at a place called Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus asked his disciples the question, whom do men say that I am? Various answers were given to him. But the question was then put, and is still being put to us today, whom do you, ye say that I am? And Peter it was that answered the question, thou art the Christ of God. And he was commended for that answer, but uh, never the, while commending him, he was told that it was the Spirit who had taught him this answer. Flesh and blood has not given that to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That was a teaching that the Lord had been giving, given right through the early part of his ministry. Lesson, the first lesson that he was teaching was the glory of his own person. Well, he's now asked the question, and it's clear that that lesson has been understood. The glory of his person is that he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And he's now ready to move on to the next lesson. He's step-by-step step teaching from our saviors. And uh, he moves on to the lesson of the glory of the work that he had come to fulfill. And he introduces them for the first time to the doctrine of his own death. From that, verse 21, I think, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And then Peter, who had been commended such a short moment ago, says, I can't accept that teaching as it were. Then Jesus took him, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Imagine, rebuking the Lord of glory, the one whom he had just confessed to be such, 
Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. This death cannot be yours. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan was there, tempting Peter into this direction, into sin, to stand in the way of the cross, to stand in the way of redemption, to stand in the way of sinners being redeemed through the blood of Christ. And the Lord has to rebuke him strongly. Thou art an offense unto me. You are a trap unto me. Satan's trap, as it were. To waylay me, to bring me out of that purpose from which I have come. Thou savorest not. You have no relish for the things of God. You have relish only for worldly things, the that of men. And it's at that point that Jesus gives this teaching that we have as our text tonight. And still by way of introduction, let us also consider that this is a universal teaching that we have in this text. You might think from, the, from, the, from the, what we have before us, that it's just the disciples who are being addressed. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me. But if there are also accounts of this incident, and I think it's a gospel according to Mark, and certainly in the gospel according to Luke, and chapter 9, and I think verse 23, I'm pretty sure it is, and there it says that Jesus called them, called them out, and it, that would seem to be called out the other people as well. And that he was addressing not only the disciples, but uh, all those who were present. It's a teaching, not just for apostles, it's a teaching for all who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All who are professors of that name. If any man will come after me, if any man will seek to be a professor of my name, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a universal law, then, proclaimed by the king and head of the church to all who will profess his name that they will be bound by this law. And as I've already said, it significantly, the, 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 the giving of this universal law it coincides with the first proclamation by him of the doctrine of his death. The two are going together. This teaching to his followers and this teaching concerning himself. And the teaching, you might say, can be, can be succinctly put, no cross, no crown. No taking up the cross, no self-denial, no not following Jesus. Well, no salvation, no crown. We've got to be careful with that, however, as well. 
That might lead us into thinking that salvation is by works. And you know that, that salvation is by faith. Salvation is through the finished work of Christ received by faith alone. But there's also the teaching that goes alongside that. Faith without works is dead. And if we don't have, uh, if we are destitute totally of these works, well, it casts doubt upon our profession altogether. That's the teaching that we have here when we say no cross, no crown. It's not salvation by works, but um, where there is a living faith, there must always, it must always be accompanied by Christian works. And these Christian works in the context here, cross-bearing, self-denial, following the Lord. Well, so much for introduction. There are two main themes brought before us in this text tonight. The content of the teaching, first of all, and then secondly, and you see that the content of the teaching is a command. It's, that's what it is the sum of it. Uh, um, if any man will come after me, let him, he must take up his cross, etc., Teaching, the, the, the content of the teaching, and secondly, reasons why that command should be obeyed. And there you have it in the text as well. Three reasons given from 25 through to 27. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then secondly, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And thirdly, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. These two themes, fairly briefly tonight then, the content of the teaching, and then the reasons why this teaching is to be obeyed. And in that order. The content of the teaching, cross-bearing, self-denial, following the Lord. Now, I think we can say this as well, that cross-bearing is inclusive of the other two. Cross-bearing is inclusive of self-denial. Self-denial is included in cross-bearing, and following the Lord must also be part and partial of taking up our cross. Self-denial can be put briefly as denying of self, denying we're not to seek after self-glory. Our boast and our glory must be alone in him. It must be a denying of everything that would lead us into that wrong path of the glory of self. Man's chief end would be in accordance with the, that wrong teaching, would be man's chief end is to glorify myself, whereas man's chief end is to glorify God. 
self-denial in that sense. But it's included, it's included in cross-bearing. And uh, following the Lord, well, I think we can put that very briefly in, in this forum as well. That Christ the Lord went in one particular path of all of all of his life. And that's the path that we are to seek to follow him in. The path that he went in was seeking the glory of God the Father. And that must be what is involved for us. At least it's a major part of what's involved for us in following the Lord. Seeking the honor and glory of Christ, of, 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 of God. Well, let's see what we mean by cross-bearing itself then, which is inclusive of these two. The expiatory sufferings of Christ are unique to himself. The expiatory sufferings are the bearing of the wrath and curse of God in the Roman place of sinners. So where he is made to be sin for us and where he bears the wrath and curse due to his people as sinners. It's um, there, the, the wrath that he bore at the, at the cross itself, for example. The cat calling at the foot of the cross. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. Um, he could have he, the, the, the wrath of God must have been discernible also in the legions of angels, the legions of the legions of hell who were assaulting him. This this is the hour of the power of darkness, and they were assaulting him on the cross. And he must have been aware that all the powers of hell and of earth were being uh, used by them uh, to uh, do their utmost despite towards them. The wrath of God included in these and many other ways, but supremely in the hand of God the Father being against him. The loss of the conscious comfort of the Father's fellowship. That comfort that had been meat and drink to him throughout all eternity. That fellowship that was there in the Trinity. That uh, fellowship that he sought uh, in the early part of his life uh, when he could um, resort at night, for example, to a hilltop and engage in prayer with the Lord. He had the, co he had the comfort and consolation of the Father's presence with him uh, and communion with him in these prayers. But here on the three hours of darkness on the cross, no comfort, the wrath of God being born. He could understand what was meant by the psalm, psalmist in Psalm 90, who knows the power of thy wrath. The wrath of God and the curse of God that he bore also on the cross. These are in the expiatory sufferings. Uh, that curse that we is the, the opposite of the blessing of God. The blessing saying, come and to come, come. Well, it be there at the end. 
Come ye blessed into fellowship and communion with God, into the heaven prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. But the curse will be departed from me, you cursed. And Christ uh, bore in those expiat expiatory sufferings the, that, that wrath, that curse, the equivalent of the damnation of his people. He bore it uh, livingly, as is shown to us in the type. The, he's the anti-type of the scapegoat type of the Old Testament, bearing that sin away into the land of far distances. <laughs> it was there that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These sufferings that speak of as the expiatory sufferings of Christ, these are unique to himself. These are unique to himself. But there were other, another department of sufferings, if I put it like that, in the life of the saviors in this earth. He was a torchbearer through, to truth all his days, a torchbearer to the truth in the midst of a perverse and uh, crooked generation. And the effect of that witness to the truth in the midst of such a society was that they their their despite their 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 they were totally against him. And he bore the reproach. He bore the reproach of that uh, despite of all who were against him for the truth's sake. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew afflictions as a torchbearer to the truth in the midst of such a society. The believer cannot share in the expiatory sufferings. They are unique to himself. But the believer can share in the sufferings that accrue, that will accrue to him as a torchbearer to the truth in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And you see that becoming more and more clear in the legislative purposes of our own nation at this time. But it's clear not just at that level, but at different level, other different levels also, that we are to expect as we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of such a society, that there will be opposition, that there will be affliction, that there will be suffering. And that I put to you is the cross bearing. We are to bear the reproach that is to be ours as his people, in our bearing witness to the truth in the midst of such a society. He was not ashamed to call us brethren, and we should not be ashamed to bear the reproach of Christ in the midst of such a society as we live in. We should not be ashamed to take up our cross in that respect for his sake.
take up your cross. And that taking up your cross and the reproach that will be there, well, you can see self-denial will be part of that uh, cross-bearing and following the Lord and seeking the glory of Father, bearing witness to the truth. They're inclusive in that cross-bearing, bearing the reproach of Christ in his Roman place. And these sufferings, although they, they can be, they can put you can you can you can put them in the general heading of um, touch-bearing sufferings, can put it like that. Uh, they will have a, they will take many forms. Or the, the the sufferings that will be mine and yours would may be very different from one another. But coming under the general heading of the sufferings that accrue to us as torchbearers to truth, the following Christ in that respect. To some, it can be the bearing of the calumny of lies that can be raised against you. To others, it can be that you're marginalized in society and isolated and cut off from maybe promotion in your life. It can take many different forms of sufferings that can be part and partial of the sufferings, the cross-bearing that would be used, the bearing of the reproach of the Master as you witness, as you seek to live by life and lip, to witness by life and lip to the glory and honor of his name. Well, the content. And then the reasons why we should Obey the reasons why there should be obedience to this command of cross-bearing, inclusive of the other two. Well, there it is to us in the, in the text. There's three reasons given. The first one is there in 26, verse 26. But what is it? Sorry. In verse 25, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. I'm not sure I'm giving you an exact uh, meaning of the, these, that verse, uh, but I'm, I'm generalizing it and I'm paraphrasing it, and I think the paraphrase uh, gives the drift of what is being said. And what is being said there, I believe, is that Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. <clears throat> now, we've got to be careful there as well. It's not saying that um, faith with a little works is dead. It's saying faith without works at all is dead. Some may get into glory by, well, you might say, the skin of their teeth. Very little works. It's a very naked bush, as it were, going into glory. Justified by faith, but carrying very little um, works, good works with them. Carrying their sanctification being narrower than it ought to be. And they are in Christ, and they shall be saved. But 
It's a dangerous game to play roulette with your soul. It's a dangerous game to go for the minimum. Because the more we go for the minimum, the more it casts doubt upon whether we have failed at all. And therefore, there's the other side of the coin here as well. Faith without works is dead, but the other side of the coin there is a living faith will always be accompanied with works. The works of what we're looking at, particularly here tonight, prosperity. The first reason, then, why we should obey is that we should seek to be ones who would be commended at the last. Well done, the good and faithful servant. Rather than ones who would seek to enter in with the very minimum, endangering whether we have faith at all, bringing into, into, into question that great question, that great issue. The second reason, the value of the soul. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And that is the very important reason, the, the value of a soul. It's the, most it's the most important commodity, we can put it like that, that any of us possesses, and we should not endanger its security. Look at um, the price that Kate took for the redemption of that soul. Peter puts it, for you know that we are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, and they can be precious. For you know that we are not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain tradition received by, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's where you see the value of the soul. That's what it took to save, to, to, to save it at all. The blood of God in our nature must be shed to save that soul. It cannot be saved with silver or gold. You can bring sackfuls of them, and they will not save the soul. The soul is of great value. And the reason why we must um, obey the command is surely there as well. Going for the glitter of this world at the expense of the soul is self-destructive. Self-destructive not only in terms of time, but in terms of eternity. And that brings us to the third reason. There is a day of reckoning coming, a day of judgment coming. 
the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. We don't know when. Could be many years hence. It could be tonight. But it's coming. The word of God says it. It is true. And he's coming to judge the world. Truths that you know. There will be those to whom he must say, Come, ye blessed. And as I've already said, there will be those to whom he must say, Depart, ye cursed. Parents will be separated from children, fathers from mothers, brothers from sisters, depending on whether we are in Christ or not in Christ. It's an, it's, it's, it, it, is, it, it is awesome to speak about, to think about a day of judgment and that our destiny is there determined for all eternity. I just want to speak a little to those of you who are neglectful of the welfare of your never-dying soul security. I want to speak to those of you who are taken up more with the things of time and sense than with the welfare of the soul and the things of eternity. This is a truth. Do not play with this truth. This is not being spoken by scripture or by ministers to frighten you. This is not being spoken for your peril. This is being spoken for your good. That you should be told this great truth, this awesome truth, while it is yet called today. No point in telling you about it when the day of judgment has come. That would be too late. And it's my duty, as one called to preach the gospel to you, to bring this to your attention. Now is the day of acceptance. The night is coming when no man can work. And if you pass into eternity, you'll pass into without Christ because that's what we're really looking at without works, that without any destitute of all works, then that must be your lot. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are faced with the great truth of a day of reckoning that must soon arrive in our experience. We are called out of time 
Now or at the day of judgment. The moment of death or the moment of that day must determine where we stand in relationship to the eternal welfare of our never-dying soul, security and good. We pray that we would be unable to take heed, that the world with all its allurements would be seen as an offence to your soul, a trap to your soul, but that Christ is standing before you, offering still the precious gift of eternal life, still saying, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and drink, without money and without price. Seek the strength, let us seek the strength to cast ourselves in our nothingness and demerit upon him, leaning the weight of our never-dying soul security on his passion and finished work. For there there is safety, there there is good to our soul. There there is eternal enjoyment for the soul, but outside of him, there is eternal despair, a hopelessness that shall never end. Different from any of the hopelessness of this world, there is always the glimmer there of um, the boat coming in, a change of circumstances. But there the despair will be eternal. There it will never end, and there will be the knowledge that it will never end. Oh, may Christ be seen to us in his preciousness. Oh, may we flee from all the lies of the evil one and his agencies in this world to seek the Lord where he is to be found and to call upon him where he is near. Receive us with the pardon of our many sins. In Jesus' name, amen.